Welcome to the Highland Sermon Podcast, where we share with you the sermons that are preached by the pastors at Highland Community Church in Coquito, Minnesota. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the podcast so that you will be notified when new episodes are available. Let's get into this week's message. Well, it was September 28th of 1951. The New York Yankees were playing the Boston Red Sox. It was 8 to nothing in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, the, the Yankees had their starting pitcher, Allie Reynolds, on the mound, just needed to retire the final batter in order to complete his second no-hitter of the season, a pretty profound accomplishment. But strolling to the plate was Hall of Famer Ted Williams. And so when Allie Reynolds delivered his pitch and fooled Ted Williams and got Ted Williams to pop up in foul territory to the catcher, it seemed like a pretty awesome thing. One problem, as Yankees catcher Yogi Berra settled under the foul ball, he somehow took his eye off of it, and it fell to the ground. You know what usually happens when you give a Hall of Fame hitter a second chance. Reynolds delivered again, and Ted Williams took a mighty hack, and surprisingly, he fouled the ball up again to the exact same place. Yogi Berra settled under it again, and this time he made the catch. Reporters gathered around his locker after the game, and and they asked him, Yogi, what were you thinking the second time you stood under that foul ball? And he looked at them and delivered this memorable quote. He said, it was like deja vu all over again. Deja vu is an illusion of memory that causes a person to believe that what they're living in the present is something that they've already lived through in the past. That's why Yogi Berra's quote was such an all-time Department of Redundancy Department Hall of Famer. Surely, God's people, the nation of Israel, felt that same way as they prepared to enter the Promised Land, as they stood on the shore of the Jordan River. That's the context that we're stepping into here this morning, God's people standing on the bank of the Jordan River, it surely must have felt like what God's people had experienced before as they stood on the banks of the Red Sea. So quick summary, how did we get here if we're jumping into Joshua chapter 3? Well, let's kind of tell a quick version of the story so that we can bring you up to speed with where we're at, Um, starting with the initial Red Sea crossing. Uh, God sent Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God's people, the nation of Israel, were slaves in Egypt. And God said, Moses, you're going to deliver them. So God said, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh, and I need you to deliver this very important message. Maybe you're familiar with it. It goes a little bit like this. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go. Now, I really think that Pharaoh should have been more impressed by the than he was. But uh, his response was a very clear and decisive no. Uh, That led God to perform signs. We call them ten plagues in Egypt to convince Pharaoh that it would be in his best interest to let the nation of Israel go. After the final and worst of those signs or plagues, the death of the firstborn, uh, the nation of Israel was told to go ahead and leave. Uh, That lasted about ten minutes. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and decided he wanted his Hebrew slaves back. So he chased the nation of Israel down into the desert. And they found themselves stuck with 
the Red Sea on one side and the charging Egyptian army on the other side. What would happen? Miraculously, as Moses reached out his staff, God parted the waters of the Red Sea. The nation of Israel passed through safely. Egypt's army charged on their horses after them. But as the nation of Israel exited the Red Sea and Egypt's army was in the middle of the Red Sea, God caused the waters to close and come back together and the army of Egypt drowned. This started Egypt on the path toward the promised land on which they remained for 40 years. The generation that crossed the Red Sea did not make it into the promised land because they doubted the goodness of God. They complained about the provision of God. And so now, 40 years later, Moses had just passed away looking on a mountain at the promised land, seeing it from afar, but knowing he wouldn't enter into it himself. And a new generation stood on the banks of a new body of water, waiting to enter the promised land. And now, if you've seen the Jordan River, you probably would assume that this was not as big of a deal as crossing the Red Sea. The Jordan River is typically the size of a stream or a peaceful brook, normally. Oh, but there's a detail in Joshua chapter 2 in the story of Rahab that you often overlook that's pretty ominous and foreshadowing. In Joshua chapter 2, when Rahab hides the spies on her roof, it says that she hid them among the stalks of flax. And you're like, okay, why does that matter? Well, what matters is she had flax. That meant she just harvested. And now, now see, they do harvest and seasons differently over in the Middle East than we do here. In the Middle East, the gentle, mild rains fall throughout the winter rain season, and then they harvest in the spring. So having the flax says it's springtime, but something else besides harvest happens in the spring. The snow on the tops of the mountains melts and runs down into the Jordan River. And so what is normally a calm, peaceful body of water becomes a 10 to 12 foot deep, rushing, raging torrent of water like you would whitewater raft in. And so now here are the people of Israel with all their clothes, all their furniture on donkeys needing to move it across the whitewater river that's 12 feet deep. And at that point, they were probably wishing they'd hired a moving company because it doesn't appear very likely that they're going to be able to cross this body of water. You could say that for the nation of Israel, it was deja vu all over again. The promised land beckoned from beyond, but a watery obstacle lay in their way. And Israel needed God to part the waters again. This is our main point this morning. A God's uh, God repeats his provision uh, to prove his power. Uh, God repeats his provision to prove his power. See, I don't know what you're walking into 2023 with, and I don't know what obstacle you're facing this year. But what I can tell you is that whatever you're facing, and whatever you're going through, you may need to remember who God is because that allows us to trust that what God has done before 
he can do again. We have the same God with the same power. A couple thoughts before we dive into the text. Uh, If God has done it before, it shouldn't be too hard to trust that God would do it again. Uh, The sequel is not usually as dramatic and impactful as the first thing. And think about it this way. When you were growing up, if someone said, I want you to think of the story of crossing the waters, wouldn't you have often thought of the Red Sea? We very seldom think of the Jordan River. Why? Because the first thing becomes the main thing. And so if God had done it before, it's not nearly as surprising that God would do it again. But this also, we're so prone to forget. I think sometimes the reason God repeats his miracles in Scripture is to remind us that we need not forget how great he is. We're so quick the first time an obstacle comes into our way to be like, oh, this is the thing I can't get past. This is the relationship I can't fix. This is too much for me. Like, it was all good up until this point, but God, I don't know why you're allowing this thing to happen because it was all good, but not now, not this. But hear this. We should trust that God's previous power can provide again in our times of need because God has proven that there is no problem that is too great for his power. So what is it for you? Maybe you're entering 2023 stressed, overwhelmed, facing something at work that seems insurmountable. Maybe you're feeling spiritually dry, distant from God. And is there going to be anything different this year that takes me out of this desert place that I've been in last year? Maybe you're wondering, can I heal from that hard season? Can I learn to trust again. Maybe there's an important relationship in your life on the verge of collapse, and you're like, this is the obstacle. Maybe maybe it's not something that you have dealt with, but it's an obstacle preventing you from getting where you think God is calling you. And you're like, how am I ever going to get the money to go to school to do what I believe God is calling me to do? I, I know there are some of you out there, and you're like, I believe God is calling me out of this season of singleness but I don't know where there is anyone for me. Maybe there are some of you that have been trying to have a child, and you're wondering, God, is this going to be the year? And I'm just dealing with the pressure of that. And, well, as a church, I want this 2023 to be a year where we lean in to the provision of God by trusting in the power of God because we remember the promises of God. And so why kick off this year with a special message on Joshua? Because this story helps us to remember how great our God is. And if you remember God's power, it will provide you with the resources you need to face whatever God is bringing your way here this next year. God was writing a pretty cool story for Israel. In fact, the whole story of the Exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land is bookended. And I want you to see this really cool way that the story comes full circle. So in Egypt, right before they left that night that the firstborn were taken, they ate the Passover in Egypt. From there, they crossed the waters of the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness. Now here is the story is getting ready to wrap up. They're in the wilderness. They're getting ready to cross the water again. 
so that they can eat the Passover, which they will, in the promised land. You see the full circle moment? And here it is. Your life is a canvas on which God is writing his story. And just as he wrote a story on the pages of Scripture, so he's writing a story of his goodness and his faithfulness and his provision in your life. And the question is, will you trust him? As we face obstacles, God wants us to remember. Three lessons on remembering that we can take from this story of crossing the Jordan River. Here's the first one. Remember God's power in the past. So the way that Joshua recorded the details of this story is 100% intentionally designed to cause us to think back to the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, Notice chapter 3 and verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now notice this again in chapter 4 and verse 14. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, uh, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Just as God had done, so he will do again. See, they needed to remember because they were getting ready to face some of the same obstacles that they had faced before. They were getting ready to go into battle in the promised land, and there were these gigantic people in the promised land, but God is saying to them, remember all the battles that I helped you fight in the wilderness? I'm going to help you with whatever battles you face in the promised land. There are no people that can stand in the path that God has prepared for his people. His promises will come true. They were also dealing with a new leader. Moses had led them for decades. And now as Moses had passed from the scene, the question is, okay, God, you've given us this new leader, but is that leader as good as the leader we had? Can we trust Joshua the same way we trusted Moses? And God said, you can, because I'm going to allow Joshua to lead you through the same miraculous experience that Moses led you through. So you can see that my hand is leading just as my hand led. In fact, three clues from the text that we need to believe that God is doing the same thing three key words. These are the exact same words used in the Hebrew language. The first word is the word wonder. In chapter 3 and verse 5, Joshua said to the people, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's the same thing he said in chapter 3 and verse 20 when he told them he would do wonders in Egypt. The people crossed on dry ground. You see that in Joshua 3 and verse 17, just as you would have seen it in Exodus 14 and verse 21 when they crossed the Red Sea. And the waters were gathered up in a heap. Sometimes that word is translated a wall. And and the water stood for the people in Joshua 3, just as it did in Exodus chapter 15. I've said a couple times already that whatever obstacle you're facing, remembering the goodness of God can prepare you to walk into it here this year. That holds true for us individually, but that also holds true for us as a church. And so one of the things I want to do this morning is share the story of God's faithfulness to us as a church. And this is kind of an interesting thing, because in sharing the story of God's faithfulness to us as a church, I'm telling a story that some of you here lived through that I walked in on at the back end. So I'm telling you your story. And some of you are like me, and you've joined the story partway through. And that's okay. Why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because in 2023, our church, Highland Community Church, is facing a new obstacle. And you're like, what obstacle are we facing? I thought things were going pretty well here at the church. 
But you know, my whole life in ministry, like 17, 18 years, however long I've been a pastor now, I've always told people, you know what? I just want to pastor a church where there are good problems. Just wish we had good problems. You know what I've been learning to say last year? Good problems are still problems. Now, I'm really grateful that we have some good problems at Highland, but can I tell you what our good problem is? When this building was designed, it was designed to work for a congregation of 400 people. The Sundays around Thanksgiving into early December, we were averaging about 450 people. On Christmas Eve, we had 570 people. On Wednesday nights, we have 170 kids signed up for Awana, and we have about 90 kids who are coming to our youth group. So on Wednesday nights, I walk in, and, and, and on some Wednesday nights, I see one of our youth group, small groups, meeting in a closet where we store the tables because it's the only free room in the church. I see some of our adult small groups having to meet over at the grocery store because there's no room for them here in the church. And it's like the Christmas story. There's no room in this building. Now, that's a good problem. But a good problem is still a problem because can you imagine having to turn away children who want to become part of our Awana ministry? Can you imagine having to turn away teens that God is drawing here? Can you imagine if there's not space for everything that God wants to do, like I'm literally blown away with what God has done. So can I tell you the story about how we got here? Highland Community Church was not the name of this church. It was originally called Elam Mission Church. And Elam Mission Church existed in a building in downtown Cocado. And for years, the church met there. And for years, they had this idea of, we think God is calling us to build a new facility And they sat on that for years and years and thinking that maybe, just maybe, and raising money slowly over time. And then in the middle of the 2010 decade, they they started in earnest a building campaign. And God is really doing this, and we're really going to trust him. and, and, and And we're moving forward with this campaign. And in the middle of the building campaign, 100 people left the church. And so they went to the lender, and they said, we still think God is calling us to build the building. And the lender said, okay, but take your design and start chopping some pieces off of it. And the wing of classrooms for kids was not built. And then there was concern, should we even be building? And, And the book was getting passed around the church, and some people were reading it called When Not to Build. And, and maybe, we, maybe God doesn't want us to do this. But in faith, the people persevered. And 95% of the pledges came in. And that church, Elam Mission Church, a church of 180 people, got ready to have their last service at the old building, their farewell service, in March of 2020. And you remember what happened in March of 2020? have Have you blocked that out of your mind? Yeah. So their last service is the week COVID hit. And every pastor in America learned what it meant to preach to a camera. And so our interim pastor, Pastor Dean, preached the farewell message virtually. And here was this brand new completed building that sat empty while we all sat at home, some of us wearing masks, wondering when will we ever be able to go out in public again. And then came the summer of 2020, and the building was able to be open. And God started doing a work. And maybe you were here from that first Sunday. And you've seen what God has done over the last two years. Maybe you've jumped in at some point, like like we did, as the story was in progress. But 
God is doing something here. And we're seeing lives impacted for the gospel. We're seeing people discipled. We're seeing people brought into deeper connection with the Lord. We're seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed. And God has done something amazing. And yet here we stand with this new obstacle of what are we going to do about our space? And I think that there's a really direct application to us from this story. If God has done it before, he can do it again. And I really feel like we're standing at our Jordan River because we've already crossed our Red Sea. And getting this building constructed was the big thing. And I just feel like if God allowed that to happen, he's going to allow us to have the space to reach all the people that he's drawing to. We can trust him. You're like, what does that look like? I don't know all the details that looks like. I believe that through the faithful prayers and giving of God's people, we're going to be allowed to bring about the space that is needed, more classrooms for kids, a space for our teens. Maybe it's a gym where we can have overflow seating and our our kids can have another Awana circle. I don't know all the details. What I can tell you is at some point in 2023, we're going to launch another building campaign. And that sounds so crazy that like we're just done with a building campaign and now we're launching another building campaign. But here's the thing, God's doing something. And I'm not asking you to do anything now other than trust God, that the God who has been faithful in the past will be faithful again. And if he can do it for us collectively, and we're trusting him collectively for what he's doing, he can do it in your life individually for whatever obstacle you're facing. And that leads me to my second point. Remember God's power over all powers. Now check this out, Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. This is kind of like the wrap-up verse of this story. It says this, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were uh, by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So I'm kind of fast-forwarding. I'm assuming most of you have heard this story before, and you know that the waters are going to get parted. That's not a shock. So we're now into the tail end of the story. The waters have been parted, but here's what's interesting. The nations that were living in the land were kind of spying on the people of Israel, right? Like they had people up in the hills watching them, and they were thinking, we're going to be okay. And they thought they were going to be okay for two reasons. The first reason they thought they were going to be okay is because their God was a river God. They worshiped in that land, Baal. Now, here's what you got to understand about the whole Exodus story. When God sent the plagues in Egypt, they weren't an attack against the people of Israel so much as they were an attack on the gods of Egypt. So so think through the, the Egypt Exodus story, right? Like, the people in Egypt worshiped the Nile River, and God's like, oh, that's cool. Let me turn that to blood. And the people of Egypt worship frogs. And God's like, oh, that's cool. Have 100 million of them. Tell me how that's working out for you. It was like everything that the nation of Egypt worshiped, God was mocking through the plagues to show that he had power over all the powers. So now they come to Canaan, the promised land, and the people who were inhabiting the land not worshiping the Nile River, not worshiping frogs, but worshiping Baal. In fact, we actually have in the Ugaritic, translated from the Ugaritic, this Baal story. And listen to what they would say in their worship of Baal. Baal captured and drank sea. He finished off Judge River. Astarte shouted Baal's name, Hail, Baal the conqueror, hail, rider on the clouds. 
for Prince C is our captive. Judge River is our captive. And they're like, Baal showed his power over the river. And so all the spies are hanging out, and they're like, we've got Baal, and he's got power over the river. And they're like, our river is like our natural defense, keeping these people out of the land because they've been going through the wilderness and defeating everyone in their way. But how are they going to cross this riptide? How are they going to cross this river? There's all this white water, and it's protecting us. And then all of a sudden, a couple dudes step their feet in the water, and the river just bloop, goes like this. And it's shown that their river was keeping no one out. The Jordan River provided about as much defense as the Cleveland Browns this season. Like, nothing was keeping the nation of Israel out of the promised land. And so they're sitting there thinking, our God's not as powerful as we thought. Our river isn't providing the natural defense that we thought. Now, God is 100% laying the smack down here. He's like, you should fear. You should believe that your God is powerless because God wanted all people everywhere to see that he is the all-powerful one, that there is nothing and no one who can prevent his promises from coming to fruition. In fact, here's what's super interesting. The miracle wasn't really, I don't even think, the parting of the water. Because there's all kinds of times through history that the water of the Jordan River in the springtime has been stopped. So there's this natural phenomenon that when the snow is melting and rushing down the mountains, it sometimes catches a chunk of mud, and it mudslides down, and the mud dams up the river when it lands. In fact, this was recorded in recent history in 1927, where the mud crashed into the Jordan River, and for three days, the water of the Jordan River didn't flow. So here's the thing. I don't think that the act of the water stopping was the miracle. I think the timing of the water stopping was the miracle. Because you can't convince me that the exact moment the priests of Israel walked into the water and the water stopped was anything but an act of God. God was showing his people, maybe even through the use of natural means, that he had power and control over all of history. There's no power you're facing that God cannot overcome. What power are you facing? What is your obstacle here in 2023? Maybe you're facing the obstacle of other people's hardened hearts. And while I don't believe that any of us can change anyone else's heart, I believe we have a God who can melt hearts I believe the scriptures, when they say that the hearts of kings are in the hands of the Lord, he guides them however he wishes. And if he can do that to kings, he can do that for anyone. Maybe the obstacle you're facing is money. And where is it going to come from? And how am I going to get by? Maybe it's a health obstacle. And how am I going to stand and do the things that God is calling me to get done this year when I'm facing this horrible diagnosis? And I don't know what your thing is, but what I can tell you is this. There is no obstacle that can keep you from where God is leading you because God's power can overcome anything. And that leads me to our third point about remembering. You need to remember God's power for the future. In fact, check out what the nation of Israel did after they crossed the Red Sea, starting in verse 19 of chapter 4. It says, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan as they were crossing through the Jordan, God told them to 
pick up 12 stones out of the riverbed. Uh, those 12 stones they, uh, they took, and Joshua set them up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you uh, passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, I love that. They built a monument. They took some stones out of the river, and they set up this monument. And the question was, why are we building a monument? Joshua was like, we're building a monument because you need to remember. And every time you pass by these stones, it's a reminder, God did this, God did this, God did this. Because there are times in your life where you're going to be threatened with, I shouldn't remember. I don't want to remember. I don't think God has the same power. And he's like, remember, you have to remember who God is. Because remembering was what will fuel you to have faith into the future. In fact, three ways that Israel showed their faith into the future about the Jordan River. Here's the first one. Did you know that the crossing of the Jordan River became part of their songbook? So the book of Psalms is actually the songbook of the nation of Israel. And check out the, uh, what they included in Psalm chapter 66. And come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. And can you just imagine them gathering in church to sing? And somebody's like, hey, open up your songbook to number 66. And they started singing about crossing through the river. Why? Because they needed to remember the power of God. Now, this also is interesting. A very specific instance where they remembered the crossing of the Jordan River. It happened with one of their prophets, Elijah, so Elijah was kind of like major prophet in the nation of Israel, but he was getting ready to go to heaven. So he needed to anoint a successor. And so he chose Elisha. And so Elijah was getting ready to pass his pastoral office on to Elisha. Very confusing names there. But um, Elijah's like, hey, Elisha, I need you to come with me and let's just pick up this story in 2 Kings chapter 2. Did you remember that there was a third water crossing, a third parting of the waters? This one gets super overlooked. Check this out. Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. And so here they are standing at the Jordan River. Like, how are we going to get across to the promised land for Elijah to give his prophetic office to Elisha? And, and, and it was in the spring and it was all this water again. And then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And everybody, these 50 guys were like watching, Elijah, Elisha, you're stuck. And Elijah's like, dude, seriously? Do you think water is any problem for God? Like, have you not been paying attention to the story? And he's just like, here, got my cloak, got my staff, and the water's just boom, and right on through they went. And you kind of overlook that in Sunday school because the third parting of the water is fairly anticlimactic. But it's actually really meaningful because just as Moses passed on his office to Joshua, now Elijah was passing on his office to Elisha. And just as Joshua was taking the people across the Jordan to fight against the inhabitants of the promised land, now Elisha was crossing the Jordan River to fight against the gods of the promised land as the people had rejected God and begun worshiping the gods 
of the people in the land, and he was going to war against idolatry to reclaim the promised land. And you see all this symbolism, and the point is this. Whatever God has called you to, God's faithfulness in the past empowers you to believe that he'll let you do what he's calling you to do now. And yet there's a third way that we remember this story. Because this story so wonderfully points to the gospel. The name Joshua in Hebrew is spelled exactly the same as the name Jesus. And Jesus is the new and better Joshua who leads us to a new and better promised land to give us a new and better rest. In fact, check out what Hebrews chapter 4 says. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the idea was this. Joshua led the people to rest and be with God in the promised land. But we have a new and greater deliverer who leads us through new and greater obstacles to receive a new and greater rest. Joshua walked through the raging river. Jesus walked through the river of death on the cross. Joshua took the people to a land in the Middle East. Jesus takes us all the way to the new creation. And you can trust Jesus to get you safely home because he's fulfilling the pattern of Joshua, accomplishing more and better than God had done in the past. In fact, so often in Christian hymns and in Christian songs, the Jordan River is used as an image of death. It makes sense. If you got caught in the riptide, it was not going to go well for you. But the idea is that the Lord will get you across the Jordan River safely home. One recent example, a group called the Booth Brothers wrote a song called Just Beyond the River Jordan. Listen to these words. This old world is filled with trouble, pain, and heartache on each side. But a better life is waiting when I cross Jordan's rolling tide. Just beyond the River Jordan, there my Savior's face I'll see. Just beyond the River Jordan, a better life is waiting for me. I love that. Like, we can trust that no matter what obstacle we face, Jesus beats it, and Jesus gets us through it. And whether he's taking us to the plan he has for us here and now, or whether he's taking us to our eternal rest that he won for us on the cross, we trust that Jesus has a plan and a purpose for our life, and nothing can thwart it, and nothing can stop it. So what's left for us to do but to step out in faith? In fact, it's interesting to think about stepping out in faith in relation to this story. You know, when I was growing up and I would hear about this story in Sunday school or in my children's Bible, I think about the illustrations I would see with it. And the Jordan would just look like this nice, peaceful, calm, glassy body of water. And the people would dip their feet in, and the water would go apart, and the people would pass right on through. But remember what we said? This was whitewater current. This was 10 to 12 feet deep. You don't just step in a river that has that fast-moving current, especially if you're a priest of Israel carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which if you drop it, you're probably going to die. So the priests of Israel are called to step out in faith, 
And God says, I'm going to move the water for you. When? Well, here's what the text says, verse 14 of chapter 3. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with their priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, parentheses, because you've got to know this, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. Then, verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. When did the waters move? When the people trusted God enough to take that step. And they put their feet in the water, and the waters moved away. What is your step of dipping your feet into the water of faith this morning? Is God calling you for some very specific thing you're facing this year to say, Lord, I trust you with this? Lord, I'm going to allow you to handle this obstacle for me? Is there a person, a relationship that seems like a big obstacle? Maybe this morning you just want to pray and ask the Lord to work in that through you, for you, for his glory. Thank you for listening to the Highland Sermon Podcast. If you would like to learn more about Highland Community Church, please feel free to visit our website, www.highlandchurchmn.com. Our website link is also available in the show notes of today's episode, along with links to our social media pages. Thank you for listening, and always remember this, you are loved.